Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. So this is one of those weeks where I'm just like, oh boy, what am I going to do? Because what we have in our readings today are two books that are probably the least preached, at least in my experience, the least preached books in all of the New Testament. We have the book of Acts, which sometimes gets a little sideways and goes a little weird because it's not the Gospels. It's, there's, no, there's very little in the way of here's what you ought to do. It is history. It is storytelling. And then we've got Revelation. And I doubt anybody, anybody that spent any time in a Sunday school class will know. Revelation is complex. But today we're going to attempt to tackle the book of Acts, at least this particular reading. And I've had some eye on preaching through the book of Acts, perhaps as a summer series or something. So if that's something you're like, oh, that might be interesting. I've never spent any time in the book of Acts. Let me know. That feedback would be helpful. But I remember as a kid, this story that we read today is one of the first images I ever had of Acts. I remember in my little children's Bible, there would be these colorful inserts that would illustrate some of these stories. And I remember this weird story of this bed sheet with animals in it. And I'm like, what in the world is going on here? I mean, I was used to bed sheets and animals in my house. We always had some kind of an animal that we needed to take care of in our house. But like, it's coming down from heaven. What is going on? There's a lot of lights. Peter looks really confused. It was just one of these weird stories. Maybe it's a weird story for you, too, because it has this mystical element to it. It's an experience that maybe we have or have not shared. For me, this feels outside of the bounds of my own experience. But here's where we can enter into it, and that is in the person of Peter. Peter we know well. He's a place we can start with. And of course, our memories will go back to the fact that Peter follows Jesus when we first meet him. He's invited to just drop everything and follow Jesus, and he does so with an impulsive zeal. I have a certain respect for this guy. He's just like, let's go. If we're going, let's go. And those are the people I like around me. Let's do it. But in the Gospels, it is often unspecific. He is untrained. One might actually put on him this word juvenile. At the very least, naive, the way that Peter goes about following Jesus. And then, of course, we remember, and there are many stories about Peter, but we remember one of the most important ones is that at the most critical moment, he blows it, right? He denies Christ. While this failure doesn't stick to him, we remember, and we would have read it a couple weeks ago if we weren't doing other stuff, where Jesus comes and says to him three times after he's resurrected, feed my sheep. This failure doesn't stick to him but it does stay with him. And I hope you hear the difference. It doesn't stick to him. He's not judged perpetually for this, but it does stay with him. It informs his understanding of Jesus and the understanding of faith. But Jesus does restore him. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And most certainly this failure and his restoration would have shaped his character, cemented his resolve to be the one who Jesus said, you will be the rock of the church. Because of this development, the Peter that we get in Acts is not the same Peter that we get in the Gospels. Peter shows development of character. There is growth in his discipleship. He is now a leader. He is forged by trial and hardened in the best way by forgiveness and restoration. 
And throughout the book of Acts, he is the one bearing witness more than any other apostle. He is bearing witness to the fact that he has seen the risen Christ. He preaches directly to those who would have been amongst the crowd who said, crucify him. He's no longer afraid. We see story after story where he goes before political and religious leadership and he stands his ground even when threatened with prison and abuse. We see him boldly call out sin. There's a story of Ananias and Sapphira, and I won't dive into that, but Peter knows what's up and says, we have got to be a community that is above not telling the truth to one another. We see him perform miracles, and he makes tough, forward-thinking decisions on behalf of the, the apostles. We remember the story where they're like, you know, there's a lot of widows that we need to feed. And it was Peter who said, look, it's not right for us to abandon the preaching of the word. So let's tab some people who can go and can take care of that pastoral responsibility. He's making decisions. He's moving things forward. He's a different person. He is much bolder, much more developed as a faithful person and as a leader. And at the critical moment that this fledgling Jesus movement needs courage and conviction, needs somebody to follow, Peter provides it in droves. It is a beautiful story. He is clearly a maturing believer, understanding of his own faith, and committed to following Jesus at all costs, but with less naivete and more wisdom and understanding. He is in many ways sort of quintessential. That doesn't make him perfect, but he is somebody to admire. But while Peter had become a force for faith, there were yet surprises. Like all of us, as long as Peter draws breath, there are lessons to be learned. And today we read a story in Peter's own words as to what happened one day. Peter is a man of discipline and a man of prayer. And so it tells us that he goes up on the rooftop to pray. And based on the hour, we believe that he is praying his daily prayers. It is the proper hour for him to go and pray. And he goes to find a quiet spot that happens to be on a rooftop, not one of the places I've prayed. Maybe you have, but maybe I'll join Peter there one day. But he goes up on the rooftop, and while he is in prayer, he has what can only be described as a mystical experience. And he sees a vision where all kinds of reptiles and birds and animals were in something like a sheet. And the instruction comes to him and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, there is no doubt in this story about who is speaking. We never have a wonder, I wonder who that is. No, Peter immediately recognizes that it's the Lord. Now, surely Peter, though, if you remember Peter's story, surely Peter sees another sticky situation here. If it's not a trap, maybe it's at least a test, right? And surely something wells up inside of Peter that is afraid of failing yet again. And if Peter fails now, when he's become the leader of this movement, what becomes of that movement he leads? And so Peter's response is informed piety. He says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He leans into his personal piety and into his beliefs to solve this perplexing thing that is unfolding before him. He says, absolutely not. Nope, I'm staying away. Surely thinking, I failed before, I denied my Lord, well, I'm at least going to hold on to this piece of who I am. But the response of God is definitive. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has declared good, do not reject. Consider the moral issue here. 
Peter, after he hears these words, does God change? That's the question at the heart of this story. Does the way of the Most High grow, develop? I mean, consider it. God acknowledges that much of the things in this sheet were unclean. God's not saying, no, I never said that. God is saying, actually, yes, there was a sense in which they were unclean. Now I am calling them clean. God declares that they are now no longer unclean. In this way, God is directly challenging Peter's hard-won piety. And Peter stands at a crossroad between what his self is telling him and what the Lord is telling him. So he sees the vision one time, then a second time, and then a third time. And I got to imagine that's what tripped Peter's wires. Oh, three times. I see what you're up to. This is not the first time you've talked to me three times. The one who denied Jesus three times gets the picture. Yep, this is God. Yep, this is an emerging truth. Yes, the way of the Most High maybe hasn't changed, but has been further revealed. Has God's ways changed? Well, no. Yes, the dietary laws were a matter of identity, and they were and still are something that can unite peoples of faith. Dietary practices remain a way that we try to walk faithfully, even in Christian piety. Of course, we fast. There are, we have dietary practices. Sometimes, you know, we'll avoid foods for a certain season, so on and so forth. But God's vision was always bigger. It was never about these little piety things. We remember what the, what the prophet said, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, quoted almost to the point of cliche. And here, Peter is called to take some of this piety and to set it aside so that he might be able to grow with a purpose. Because the point wasn't just God having some fun sort of blowing up the dietary laws. You know what, let's have some fun. Let's, you know what, those things are boring. Let's move on to something else. And all of us who eat sausage rejoice. But... Let that sink in. Thank you. There it is. Thank you. Thank you. The point wasn't really dietary laws or abstract piety. This vision has a point. After Peter has this vision, and he's kind of in a blur, you can imagine. First of all, I saw this mystical experience. Second of all, I'm trying to figure out who God is now. There appear a couple of men looking for Peter, and they are sent from a man named Cornelius, a good and respected man who needs Peter's help. And he is described as an upright, God-fearing man. We're like, hey, good dude. Except, he's a Roman. He's not just a Roman, he's a Roman soldier. Peter would not have forgotten Roman soldiers very quickly. And he would not have remembered them happily, most certainly. But they want Peter to come, and so he goes, even in the midst of his perplexity and confusion at what he's just seen. And Peter gets to the house, and he goes in, which in and of itself was breaking another, another religious law. Weren't supposed to cross the threshold into the house of Gentiles. Except Peter does. It was supposed to be restricted. But he's taking a risk, testing it out. Saying, well, let's see what happens. And when he gets inside, you know what he discovers? He doesn't get lightning bolted to death. He doesn't discover that he is now perpetually unclean and needs to go wash. What he discovers is that the Holy Spirit was in the house before he was. He said, holy jumping, all these people here have got the Holy Spirit. 
And first of all, what I discern is that the Spirit is in its own way this sort of discernible, detectable reality. You can tell when the Spirit's present, right? And Peter figures this out. And strikingly, surprisingly, wonderfully, maybe even troubling, he discovers that Gentiles have it. On the other side of this forbidden boundary, this pietistic boundary that's been drawn, God is found. Peter did not take God there. God was there, and Peter found God there on the other side of the forbidden boundary. Cornelius doesn't grow and develop in this story. Peter does. How has he grown? Well, again, it was never about dietary restrictions. It did not change towards a more strident, more strict, more defined faith. Here is what we do. Here is the box in which faith must stay. No, it wasn't towards different piety, different prayers, different kinds of worship. No, none of that seemed to matter. The way that this story changes Peter is in his attitude towards people. More people in. Fewer boundaries. Less constricting piety about what is acceptable and unacceptable. And more love of neighbor. Discovering God's presence in unexpected places before we had the sort of assumed privilege of taking God to a community that quote unquote didn't have God. No, 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 no. Those who were rejected, we thought, are now welcomed by a loving God. The story is just about us trying to figure out who God has said is okay and who, <laughs> and who God has said is not okay, and we don't have any stories about that. And the good news, friends, you're like, what does all this story have to do with us? Well, the good news is that all of us, every one of us here, are here because the gospel expanded enough that it included us. Because the gospel never shrinks. It's always expanding. Not unlike the universe, it is always growing. It, expand and it expands into places that once were dark, where once we saw the dividing line between sinner and saint, chosen and rejected, insider and outsider. It expands beyond our piety, beyond our conditioned and cultured sense of right and wrong. This is what resurrection looks like when it plays out in the lives of real people. That's why we read this story in the season of Easter. Resurrection just keeps growing. I remember the first time Someone said to me these words, said, for all we know, we are the early church. It's like, huh. It's like, I know the church has been around for 2,000 years, so we think, you know, early church, you know, the first 100, 200, 300 years, that kind of thing. And that kind of got me, you know, like, all right, the early church, they had so much to figure out, but now we've kind of figured it out, right? And then somebody said, for all we know, we're still the early church. And that got me going, well, well shoot. We don't yet know if the church is all grown up. We don't know if the Spirit has taught us everything we need to know. We don't know what else is still in store for those who seek God's face. So because we don't know if we're the early church or not, because we should be a bit more humble about what God still has to show to us, let us hold on to our faith with conviction, yes, but also with humility. In a world that is constantly and rapidly narrowing its definitions of what is orthodox, acceptable, holy. We have got to be a community that doesn't close boundaries, but rather pushes them out, and in fact blows through the front doors of the people's houses we were never supposed to be in. This does not mean that we give up who we are. 
There may be sacrifices, changes, discussions, but there is a way, yes, in, that we, in, in seeking where God might be found in places we didn't expect. It's not that everything is changing, it's that we're simply discovering more of who we are. God forbid the caterpillar would refuse to enter the cocoon because, oh my goodness, that cocoon is just not proper for caterpillars. No, that's exactly what we were designed to be. And it's the message that we've been given, this resurrection that expands. And that message is for us as much as it is for everybody else in the world. And that's good news. It's absolutely good news. That there for us, friends, is still a ways to go. There are things to discover. There are surprises to be uncovered. And so let us not shrink in our faith. Let us not pray that our faith would kind of... would purify itself into some kind of magical box, but rather let us pray that God would continue to surprise us and that we would find God in the places that we never thought God would show up. And God is there not so that we might do good for others, but that we might learn more of who we are, who God has called us to be, and what it is that God is doing in the world. May God never stop surprising us.